Hey guys, welcome to Catch Fire Podcast, and I am so excited today because I have a very, very, very special guest. And when I when I talk about a guest, he's more like a friend, more like family. He's ministered here in our church a few times. He's ministered in our Victory Edge Conference before, and he's just been a blessing. And I'm here with none other than my good friend Michael Francis. Pastor Al, great to be back. <laughs> Man, Mike, it has been a wild two years. And uh, we're coming out of this pandemic. And uh, thank God that you're, you're feeling good, you're looking good. I mean, it's been tough, right? Hey, it's been tough, tough on everybody, uh, Pastor, no doubt. But, uh, you know, fortunately, we, uh, we have faith in God, and he's provided for us. And, and actually, in, in some ways, we've been able to expand Right. on what we've been doing before the pandemic. So Absolutely. praise God for that. And I think, you know, just to get people familiar who may not be familiar with who you are and your background, um, I mean, you were part of the Colombo crime family, mm -hmm. right? You were a Kappa regime with the family. Your father, Sonny Francis, who is, I mean, I would even say probably one of the original members of the family going back many, many years. Can you share with the people your role in the American Mafia? Sure. I mean, I got involved through my dad, who was the underboss of the Colombo family back in the 60s. And uh, my dad was one of the original, you know, members in that life. He was around when the commission was being formed by Lucky Luciano. And uh, he was certainly in the mix at that point in time, uh, you know, a highly regarded and respected figure. Mm -hmm. And initially, uh, my dad didn't want this life for me. He wanted me to go to school, be a doctor, wanted me out of it. But he got in some severe trouble in the right. 60s. He was a major target of law enforcement, yes. kind of like the John Gotti of his day. Mm -hmm. And good-looking um, guy. Yeah, yeah. He was Very a handsome guy. guy. Very charismatic. Mm -hmm. You know, he uh, he was a guy that people looked up to on yes, the street. Absolutely. And uh, he was indicted several times in the state of New York, serious right. crimes. Right. Uh, went to trial, got acquitted. Right. But then he was indicted in '66 for masterminding a nationwide string of bank robberies mm -hmm. by the feds. Right. And uh, after a lengthy trial, he was convicted, sentenced to 50 years in prison. And in 1970, he went off to start to do that time. Mm -hmm. And I was a pre-med student right. at Hofstra University at right. the time. And Joe Colombo took me under his wing. I started meeting a lot of my dad's friends. Mike, what are you doing going to school? Because right. uh, I, I can tell you this, Al. My dad did a lot of bad things in his life, as did I during my time in that life. Right. But he was no bank robber. Right. He was framed in that case. And right. I'll take that to my grave. Absolutely. And I wanted to help him get out of prison. I love my dad. Of course. And we met in Leavenworth Penitentiary in the visiting room. And I said, Dad, I'm not going to school. If I don't help you out, you're going to die in here. And basically, that was when my dad proposed me for membership in the life. I was right. about 20 years old, 21 years old. Mm -hmm. And you know, in order to get into that life, you can't just say, hey, I'd like to join. <laughs> somebody has to propose you, yeah, right. you know, vouch for you, Absolutely. say you have what it takes. And that started my journey, and I became a uh, made member, took the oath in 1975, Halloween mm -hmm. night. And I was a soldier for, you come in as a soldier, that's yes. the rank, and I was a soldier until 1980, right. when my former boss made me a cop of So you were a soldier for four years? Uh, just about five. About five, five years. years. Uh -huh, right. I was actually an acting cop for my dad. Okay. Uh, because my dad couldn't. When he got out on parole, he couldn't associate with anybody. Got you. So he made me his acting captain. Got it, right. And then I was made an official captain. That's still official position, but then I was officially given that title mm -hmm. in uh, 1980 right. by my former boss. Mm -hmm. 
And from 80 until about 95, when I consider myself formally removed from that life, I operated as a cop regime. Absolutely. And, um, you know, um, it's so interesting, um, your, your story and your life, because, um, you know, when I, when I look at you and from the first time I met you, I mean, you really are a walking miracle. I mean, not many are still around for whatever reason. And it, the Lord had a plan for your life, didn't he? You know, there's no doubt. I've always said this, Al. If you're a member of that life mm-hmm. and you die of old age and you die free, right. you've really accomplished something. Mm-hmm. It's a tough life to navigate, right. especially from the 80s on with right. so much stuff that went down. And uh, for me, you know, I don't know if I'm a miracle. I don't want to, you know, give myself that much credit, but I know God has transformed my life and mm-hmm. I... Uh, if it wasn't for him, I know right. I wouldn't be sitting here. I'd either be dead or in prison for the rest of my life. Well, I think no as, doubt. as a pastor, and I've seen a lot of miracles, I, I do see you as a miracle. Well, <laughs> it's I a miracle you're still t- here to this day, man, and the grace of God. And I'm, I'm thankful for it because now God's using you to share your story, and you've shared it all over the world, haven't you? Yes, mm-hmm. everywhere. And God has opened doors for me in, in places I never thought I'd be. Right. And uh, for some reason, people keep calling me back. And the story, uh, listen, it's a story of God's grace, God's yes. mercy. Yes. And um, I think people need to hear that. I think they do. And you know what's so interesting to me? I'm just curious, Michael, you know, in, in your mind, because you've been, you've been everywhere and you've, you've spoken to a lot of people. Why are people so intrigued by the American mafia, which, which we know is La Cosa Nostra, right? Yes. That means this thing of ours. This thing of ours, this yes. thing of ours. Why are people so intrigued by the American mafia? You know, it all started uh, with Al Capone. I mean, he was the biggest figure in that life, uh, certainly until maybe you could put John Gotti in his category in right. modern days. But people were fascinated. You know, Cosa Nostra in this country is part of history. Yes, right? It, it definitely is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can't erase it. You can't say it didn't happen. It's part of history. Right. And there were some very dynamic figures. And those figures have been uh, immortalized in movies, in the media, mm-hmm. and people look at the the money, the power that you know that was uh, uh, part of that lifestyle, right. and they're fascinated by it. Right. And you know, Al, I'll tell you this: when I first started speaking, um, I, I never realized how intriguing the life was to others until I started speaking and I saw the attraction to myself. I, right. I, I didn't get it, but right. now I do. Right. But, um, and it hasn't gone away. I mean, no, it's getting stronger. All actually. over the world. Right. I, mean, I think for me, you know, not to interrupt you, but the history part of it. Because when people immigrated to this country, I mean, our country was still kind of young. Yes. I mean, they didn't have big police force, fire department. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of city organization, right? Right. So Italian Americans came. And they developed their own system that they brought from Italy. Is that, am, I, am I right or wrong? No, no question about it, yeah. And, you know, I always, I've said this, and I'll, I'll continue to say it, what made Cosa Nostra powerful in this country, the mob powerful in this country, was prohibition. Mm-hmm. Because up until that, they were just a bunch of gangs trying to, you know, find right. their way out, extortion right. here, little things. But when prohibition came around, right. and the mob is very resourceful, yes, and they saw a way to make money because people wanted a drink and they were going to fill that vacuum. Right. And it was the money that they generated, mm-hmm. which was amazing amounts of money mm-hmm. that really started to bring them into an organization mm-hmm. and then it just grew from there and and they brought that from italy yeah because there's a i mean they were always being invaded and there was seemed to be some Correct. opposition that people Correct. in sicily were facing 
The mafia initially was um, was formed as a good thing in Italy, and then it kind of you know went the other way. I yeah, guess you right, could say. of course. Yeah, interesting. I, I feel like um, it is historical, and I think there's a yeah. big interest in that, and people love history. They want to know um, the kind of country they're living in now, which mm -hmm. I think we can talk about that in a little while. Sure. But you know, as a young, uh, I would say mafia leader. Um, was money your only primary goal? What was your primary goal as a young leader at that time? I mean, I wanted to, honestly, I wanted to be the best possible mob guy I could be. I wanted to please my dad, make him proud. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was all about making money at mm -hmm. that point in time. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was fortunate in that I knew how to use that life to benefit me in business. Right. And I was very aggressive. Mm -hmm. um, I worked hard and I brought some new things into the family they hadn't done before. And uh, was able to uh, profit by it. I, I think someone referred to you almost like being um, um, like Michael Corleone in The Godfather, because you started out really young, you had a lot of success early, and uh, I mean I know you've heard that before. Mm -hmm. um, it must have been hard being that young and functioning in that world. I mean, well, it, what happened to me, Al, it was difficult because. The meet, as soon as attention came on me, I was a target for police. Mm. I was indicted, you know, three or four times before I was 23 years old. Okay, yeah. I went to trial several times, so right. I had a bullseye on my back right away. Right. Um, and that was because of my my name, but uh, you know, somehow we overcame it and yeah. uh, just went on to to succeed. What about inside the family? What about inside La Cosa Nostra? Was there jealousy? Was there things that you had to worry about there? Well, yeah, I mean, the old timers there always had a resentment for the younger guys, mm. you know, and look, I was my father's son, and I was one of the first guys that right. got made after the books were open. Right. Because the books, they weren't making guys for about 20 years. Okay, right. And then they opened the books in uh, mid-70s, and I was one of the first guys that got made. So there was guys waiting 20 years, <laughs> and I kind of yeah. jumped ahead of that. Yeah. As a matter of fact, Sammy made a comment about that. But, yeah, he did. Yeah, but, um, yeah, look, but you know, hey. Yeah, you still got to earn it. You you know, nobody's it, giving you a pass. No. You got to earn it. And um, I think people think, you know, the, you do all this to get into life, and really, reality is that once you get into life, that's when the work begins. Yeah, no doubt. And look, you know, my father deserved that respect. I mean, my father got a 50-year sentence, um, never gave up a soul, was a good soldier all the way through, mm -hmm. and his request was that I, I get made. Right. And I went through the process like anybody else. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, that's just how it goes. And so being a capo at a young age, how old were you, were you when you were a capo? I was uh, just about 29. 29. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's like a commander of sorts. Mm -hmm. It's a leadership role in the family. Yeah, you're actually a street boss. That's what it means. Okay, street boss. And you have soldiers assigned to you right. that answer to you. Right. How big was your crew? I had, uh, well, made guys in my crew. I had about 15 okay. uh, that were assigned to me. Right. Uh, but associates, God, I had couple hundred and those are like knock around guys those are like street guys yeah yeah guys that are kind of um, yeah guys that are associated with the life they weren't actually made mm -hmm. they didn't take the oath but they answer to you answer to you yeah did you know all of them uh not really <laughs> <laughs> some of them i didn't when i got involved in the gas business which is something we could talk about i had a crew working for me that i mean i i have people now that, yeah. that contact me online said i used to work for you and yeah. i have no idea who they are but, yeah yeah, uh, yeah i get it uh, that's interesting, man. I, I feel like um, you know this stuff is important. And you, you know, we, we this podcast is about leadership, and um, 
I mean, certainly in that life, you had to have some pretty important leadership qualities in you. Well, you know, I always say this, you know, you could be a boss and not necessarily be a leader. Mm. A leader is only a leader when people want to follow that person. And, you know, hopefully I was able to develop skills where people said, okay, you know, I have faith and trust in this guy and I want to follow him. Right. And uh, I had a pretty loyal crew, you yeah. know, and, and fortunately, look, the bottom line in that life, when your crew is making money, there's a lot of loyalty there. There you go. You know, and That's we were good. fortunate in that we were able to generate a lot, mm. took care of everybody, people were happy, nobody mm. jumped ship. And uh, who was know. the oldest guy in your crew? I mean, how well, old was he? Uh, probably 60. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you in were in like the 60s? In your 20s. Yeah. But you know what? I, I had their respect because I treated them right, you mm -hmm. know, and right. I understood, you know, the dynamic when somebody's older than you, right. you still want to give them that respect. Yeah. These are guys that were made for 25, 30 years. Right. So you treat them that way. Right. And you don't have any resentment. But, right. you know, when I would have to sit down and I would have to oppose another guy that was older than me, then it got a little, mm -hmm. you know, like, you know. Yeah. Then <laughs> but you I mean, listen. Every younger guy, I think, comes up with that, even in the workforce. You know, yes. there's resentment there, and you gotta you gotta learn how to deal. I with think it. even in the church. You yeah, know, yeah, I'm sure. As young, I, I started pastoring when I was 33. Yeah, and uh, you know, there's a lot of older leaders. Sure, so you gotta kind of win them. You gotta win them over. You know, yeah. and that's and that's part of being a leader. You yes. know how you deal with people. Yes, you know, it's it's important. It's an important uh, uh, quality that somebody has to have. It's like know? a respect thing, right? Absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know, I had I was so active in that life, I had to sit down with a lot of the old timers and always tried to give them that respect and make them understand. I'm not trying to outdo you here. Right. But at the same token, you know, we're on an equal level here and yeah. you know, it's business. It's so. business, it's business, exactly. it's business. You know, um, there's this great scene in the Bronx tale and I think uh, what I wanna mention is your podcast, Michael Francis' podcast, and uh, you're approaching a million subscribers. Mm -hmm. Uh, in just a short time, um, I've watched your podcast from the beginning. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. I mean, Appreciate I that. just Thank enjoy you. it. I mean, it's just so great. Um, and you do something called Mom Movie Monday, mm -hmm. which is awesome. And uh, you've done The Bronx Tale, mm -hmm. and uh, which to me is one of the greatest great movies. Movie. One of the greatest movies. Uh, and uh, it, there's a scene in Bronx Tale where uh, C, who's the main character, mm -hmm. a young kid, is being mentored by the, the local boss, Sonny. Sonny, right. And uh, he comes in and he asks him a question. He says, you know, is it better to be loved or to be feared? It's a very, it's a pretty heavy question. And uh, I want to ask you the same question, Michael. Well, it's funny. Uh, Chaz and I had a disagreement on that. Did because, you? Yeah. And uh, Chaz thought it was better to be feared. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, um, it's better to be loved because as the life showed that when fear was initially what kept people in line. Mm -hmm. But what happened in the 80s was that the fear of the mob and the retaliation was transferred to the government. Oh. And the government became more feared mm -hmm. because they're putting people away from life under the racketeering statute. Right. And that fear was transmitted to the government. Now, had you loved the people that you were under at that time, well, you wouldn't have become an informant and you wouldn't right. have testified and you would have done all those things. But you actually feared your boss at one time. Now you feared the government more. So a lot of guys uh, went the wrong way. And, you know, biblically, Jesus said love conquers all. Absolutely. Listen, you don't want to hurt the people that you love. 
you, you certainly intentionally don't want to hurt them, and you're going to try to stand by them. But if it was just fear that kept you in line, and you're not afraid anymore, well, you know, then yeah. all, all bets are off. Yeah, and it's like, uh, you know, so much treachery. You're dealing in fear. And treachery takes the lead, and everybody's kind of just protecting themselves. But where there's exactly. love, there's trust. Yeah, and you know, in my own case, uh, you know, I know the guys that loved me. When I went down, um, people were lining up to testify against me. Mm -hmm. And I found out who my friends were. But then there were those that would never say a word about me. Right. And those were the ones that I know really had feeling for me. So, I mean, I learned that through my own experience, you know. Right, right. Maybe it was fear, or maybe because they were making money with me, but when that went away, well then, they wanted to save themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Now in that life, the stakes are pretty high. You know, you, it, it's a high pressure life, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, f from day to night, you're just every day under pressure, dealing with all kinds of different scenarios and different things that are constantly probably moving around you. Um, can you explain what a sit down is? Yeah, sit down in that life is how you resolved uh, any kind of dispute that you might have, anything. And it could have been very serious. Mm -hmm. Could have been a matter of life and death. Somebody's, right. you know, could be in serious trouble. Um, it could be a business dispute right. that you had to resolve. Right. Could have been something as light as, "Hey, where are we going to eat tonight?" You know. Right, right. But it was always resolved in a sit down. That's right. what we called it. And um, fortunately, unfortunately, I was in quite a few because I was so active, and I had, uh, you know, I was involved in a deal that everybody wanted a piece of. Right. That was the gas business. So. You know, I had a lot of people coming at me in different reasons and for different uh, circumstances. And it must have been a lot. Like, people must, I mean, what was it, like monthly? Or how often would you sit oh, down with quite people? quite a bit. I mean, sometimes once a week. And when you have a yeah. big crew, they're always getting in some kind of problem. Right. And you got to resolve it, you know. So wow. some of them were really high-level sit-downs where the right. boss had to be involved. Right. Some of them you try to, you know, right. just the guys get involved yourself. If you can't work it out, then you go up the chain. But... Uh, it was a common thing for me. I mean, I was sitting down all the time. And, and, right. Um, you know, some things were so crazy, ridiculous, right. but other things were pretty serious. Right, because it could be pretty, uh, some of the sit-downs are pretty minor. Oh, yeah. Over, yeah. like, a, a, maybe an argument. Yeah, I mean, you know, especially with the old-timers who were very technical, you know, and, and you know. <laughs> by the book. Oh, by the book. And because you can't touch a main guy. No. You like, can, you couldn't put your hand on a made you, guy. No, you cannot put your hands on a made guy. If, if, if you ever put your hand on another made guy, you're automatically wrong. There's no excuse. There's nothing you can say to save yourself. Right. You're, you're done. And, and sometimes these guys, you know, out late and things happen. Yeah. And, and, I mean, and, and tempers flare. Yes. And, uh, you know, you, you never do that. Now, is that, is you, that you, can't even, you can't even, honestly, in a sit-down, be disrespectful to a made guy. You got to right. speak properly and if you got disrespectful and you weren't you know you didn't know how to right control yourself you could lose the argument just for being disrespectful even if you're 100 percent right do you feel like when you were in sit downs weekly mm -hmm. <laughs> you really crafted your uh conversational skills no doubt you know um you know and, and i i attribute a lot to what my father told me he said to me look you know be the last one to criticize somebody, mm -hmm. be the last one to judge somebody, um, you know, especially if you're gonna judge them unfavorably because right. when your turn comes, people will remember that. Yeah. Always listen before you speak, yes. you know, so I, I think I, you know, mastered that quality because I had to. Yeah. I had to, I mean, it's not a question of, hey, you know, 
This was uh, it's like a, this it's was a do or die situation. Yeah, yeah in some yeah. cases. Yeah. yeah. Now, uh, what was the toughest sit down you had? Who was it with, and what was at stake? You know that. Gosh, there were so many. I mean, some of them could have been life or death, but they weren't as serious as going in as they as somebody perceived it to be. Okay. But it was still serious, you know. I mean, I had so many. I mean, I had fight for a guy's life over nonsense because he called a, a, another made guy a, a name, right. not to his face, to somebody else. You're like in the Sopranos, the, he disrespected the guy's wife. The guy's wife, yeah. yeah. There was stuff like that. I mean, that's really, at the end of the day, that was ridiculous sit-down, right. you know? Because if you remember the scene before, everybody laughed, yeah, they're including all laughing. Tony Soprano. They were all laughing, yeah, right. I mean, you know? And this guy made an issue out of it, and he wanted to kill somebody over that. Right? Yeah. Come on, yeah. you know, yeah. you don't yeah. do that. But you know what? That's true. Mm -hmm. Right. Things were that technical, and right. I was in a sit down at one point in time where one of my guys, you know, said an expletive right. about another guy's brother-in-law. Mm -hmm. Not even the main guy. So he guy felt himself. disrespected. He's like, yeah, I'm he felt disrespected. And he said, "I want him dead." No. I said, "What are you talking about?" Right. You know? right. But those are the rules. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I, I hate to say, I know this is yeah. not the appropriate place, but I'll say it. And I, I had to say to him, if you kill my guy, I got to kill your guy. Right, right, We're right. Both going to die. It's almost like a negotiation. It's yeah. a heavy negotiation. That's why I say, like, it's a lot of pressure. A lot of pressure. It's a lot of stuff that shouldn't go that far. No, and this guy wasn't giving in. Right. He wasn't giving in. I mean, this was three hours. Right. And finally, I had to figure out a way to just satisfy him because right. I knew this was getting really crazy. But what I find so interesting, Michael, is, you know, these sit-downs. People don't sit down anymore. No. People don't talk about stuff anymore. I mean, and as crazy and as dark as some of this stuff is, I look at it as at least people are talking. We're living yeah. in a day where people don't talk. They don't hash out their issues. I mean, is there anything redeemable about sitting down with somebody that you have a conflict with, whatever it may be? I mean, how important is that? You know, gets into another area here. The problem we're having in America now is the divisiveness is, is toxic. Right. And it starts at the top, Al, mm -hmm. our leadership. Right. You know, when they're constantly bickering with one another, calling one another names, it, it filters down to the right to all of us right and it just permeates a, a toxic feeling in the entire country but you're right people don't sit down and talk out their differences even anymore. families no you can't you can't have a, a discussion if you disagree you're automatically a bad person you right know, with some people right and it's it's very pervasive now in this country and it's terrible yeah, at least we used to sit down and discuss things and work them out. And there was consequences. There was consequences, <laughs> absolutely. So you couldn't just do anything. No, 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 no. And and at the end of the sit-down, whatever the decision was, that was it. Right. There's no appeals. You don't talk back. You right. don't go and complain about it because right. if you're complaining about it and somebody finds out, you're in trouble. Right, and then That's you it. guys would hug. We'd hug and we'd move on in life. Kiss yeah. on the cheek. And exactly, exactly. And you know what? Which is pretty heavy. It was pretty. It was pretty good that way. Yeah, I mean yeah. that's have a, a heavy concept yeah. in a day where people just block each other on social media, block each other's number, we'll talk. You know, it's pretty heavy. You know, no. and the Bible says to to forgive one another, doesn't it? Before you, you know, if you're gonna have a need before the Lord before you pray, forgive the person that's offended you. Absolutely. So to me, the sit down is intriguing, from a biblical standpoint. To me, it's it's very intriguing. You know. 
Well, it does force you to sit down and, and iron things out. Right. You know? yeah. And uh, well, if we didn't have that, uh, there would have been constant battles mm-hmm. and they would have gotten serious. Yes. But fortunately, we had, you know, a lot of the rules that we had in place were good. Right. You know, yeah. and, and I want to make it clear. No. I'm not glorifying the life. In no, any way. no, no. I walked away from the life. Right. And I always say it was an evil life. And yes. the reason I say it was evil, I want to be clear, I'm not calling the guys evil. I was one of them. Mm-hmm. I just happen to be very blessed. But the lifestyle, I don't know any family of any member of that life that hasn't been totally devastated. Right. Including my own. Right. Not my wife and children, but mother, father, brother, sister. It's terrible. Right. And all the families experience that. So when a lifestyle does that to a, a family and people that you love, it's bad. No, there's nothing good. So that's that. what I'm saying. Absolutely. However, there were some good things in that life. The mm-hmm. respect issue. Right. Now that everything gets corrupted, right? It's like anything else, but at least on the face of it, we were supposed to be respectful to one another. Right. We were supposed to be respect, respectful to the women in that life. Yes. And there were serious consequences and, and the children, if you weren't. And the children. Yes, and the children. We didn't involve families in any of our mm-hmm. nonsense. No. So, um, and, and those were good things, but like anything else, you know, mm-hmm. when money and power come into play. There's always corruption. Happens on the street, happens right. in government, happens in business, all everywhere. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, and you've always been so clear that it's an evil life. And, and if people uh, tune into your story and, and go deep on your story, they'll hear the background mm-hmm. of what your family went through, what your parents went through, brothers and sisters went through. Yeah. And um, your brother is still alive. Today. My brother's alive, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, he's uh, cleaned up his act, but Beautiful. 25 years as a, a drug addict. Right, right. And it was a horrible situation for him and the family. And, you know, only through the grace of God, he's alive and, and mm-hmm. he's doing okay. I Beautiful. mean, when I say doing okay, I mean, I would love to have seen him, you know, married with children and have a different mm-hmm. life, but at least he's alive and, and you know, he's, he's okay. Yeah, you know, Mike, um, I know um, we've talked about this before, you know, you've been out of life for many, many years now. But is there anything you miss about it? Anything there in any redeemable qualities about that life? Anything that you say, you know, like you said, the people were good. It's just that everybody was, like you said, corrupt. Yeah, I mean, look, I had a lot of friends. What I miss the most is the is the camaraderie that we had with the guys. Mm-hmm. You know, there was nothing to me more powerful than this bond among men mm-hmm. that, again, was corrupted later on. But right. at least during that time, it was something that I enjoyed. Right. I mean, I was always with the guys. You know, right. we, we, had a, we had a good relationship there. But, you know, God has, has replaced that with the fellowship I have now with yeah, my brothers in Christ. Absolutely. So, yeah. you know, God is, is wonderful yeah. in that regard. But, look, you know, I'd, I'd be sitting here and I'd be dishonest if I said to you, I didn't miss some of the good times. Sure. Like, it wasn't bad having a helicopter, you know, at the time. <laughs> yeah, or you my know own, I, I need one of those. Yeah, <laughs> or my own jet plane, which I wish I had now with all the traveling I'm doing in the mask, you got to wear it, everything absolutely. else. Absolutely. You know, and, and enjoying some of the things that I enjoyed as a result of the fruits of my labor at the time. But yeah. I can do it all, w- without all of that because I'm, I'm happy where I am now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, God's been so good to you and to your family. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. amazing. Um, you know, um, you do this great uh, segment, like I mentioned, about Mob Movie Mondays. And uh, I think we're both in agreement that the Gotti movie, HBO version of the Gotti movie, is one of the greatest movies outside of The Godfather and uh, the acting and just the, it seems so real and uh you've mentioned that that's one of your favorite movies 
Yeah, uh, the HBO Gotti movie with Armand DeSante, Anthony Quinn was brilliant. I mean, yeah. I can't. I mean, I've watched it probably twenty times. Oh yeah, I watch. Yeah. When I get bored, I'll watch it. Yeah, I mean, it, it never gets old to me. Yeah. Uh, because number one, it was very realistic. Mm -hmm. Much of the script script was written on actual uh, tape recordings and mm -hmm. uh, you know surveillance devices. Yes. The, the yes, information yes, yes. that they gleaned from that. And aside from that, Armand Desante was just brilliant. He played Gotti better than Gotti himself. <laughs> it seems that way. Oh, Anthony Quinn, those scenes with Anthony Quinn, where it just, I yeah. looked at him and I felt like I was back in the life. Right. He was amazing. Right. And so I loved the movie and I always touted it. And Armand loves it. He says, Michael, the movie keeps selling because of you. I said, well, it's great, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it was terrific. And yeah. uh, of course, Godfather, look, Godfather, had such an impact on the street life. Mm -hmm. I remember it, Al. Guys started to carry themselves differently. Yeah. You know, they started yeah. to almost act like, you know, Michael yeah. Corleone and, yeah, and Don yeah. Corleone because it brought an integrity and indignity to the life that wasn't there before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And guys, they loved it. Well, it's like uh, art imitating life, life imitating yeah. art, you yeah. know. But, you know, uh, people may not know, but you had some dealings with John Gotti. And uh, he was a contemporary of yours. Mm -hmm. uh, what kind of man was he? You know, he, listen, I had a, a respect for John because he was cousin Oster all the way. Right. He lived it. He died it. Uh, did he do things right all the time? No. Was he a popular boss? No. Um, did he bring a lot of heat? Yes. Is he responsible for the destruction of that life? Absolutely not. You, you don't okay, that's that interesting. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, John... For some reason, he became a media darling, the way right, he carried right, himself. Right, right. He was a good-looking guy. He had charisma. Right. He dressed the part. He acted the part. Right. He was the second coming of Al Capone. I mean, right. that's it. So the media picked up on it. They right. made him public enemy number one. Right. He was a media star, cover of Time magazine. Right. So come on, you know. Um, but did he destroy the life? Of course not. I mean, you know, the RICO Act destroyed the life, you mm. know, the way we knew it. But um, well, when you think of Omerta, though, was it Joe Bonanno who, who you know, with the book he wrote? I mean, who? Because they said Giuliani based his whole Rico uh, case on Joe Bonanno's book. Giuliani told me in a podcast that eighty percent of his case was built upon Joe Bonanno's book. Right. And a lot of guys did not like that book. I myself right. didn't right. like it. Right. My dad hated it. It was. Re it was very much resented but right. you know banana was already out of the life right. living in in Fina. i don't know why he wrote the book but um that was supposedly the trigger that mm -hmm. sent giuliani into this hey i'm going to use the rico statute right. based upon the information he provided in this book so it was very damaging in that regard could i ask you a question very quickly about sure. joe banano was he untouchable because he was from sicily and because you know because he was expelled from the mafia for the book right or was it around? No, or was it, no it was because of drugs. It was drugs. Yeah, he, no, he, he was expelled because he tried to make a move on certain people. That's right, there you go. And they, because of who he was, they granted him his life, but they said, you're out, and he moved to Arizona. Did that have to do with him being Sicilian and going back far? Mm, no. No, I just, you know, they gave him the respect because he was a boss, mm. and they didn't kill him. Mm -hmm. They could have. They could have. That, yeah. yeah. And they said, you know, you're, you're out. Interesting. And he left and went to Arizona, and that was that. Very and, interesting. Uh, yeah. They let him live. I've always wondered about But that. then he writes the book, you know. Right. And oh, so he wrote the book after. He wrote it after, yeah, while oh, okay. he was out there. Okay. Why he had to write it, I don't know, but mm -hmm. uh, he did, and people were not happy with it. Right. So Gotti wasn't, in your opinion, the reason the mafia? Absolutely not. I mean, you don't pin that on Gotti. Gotti did what he did. 
you know, he, he, you can't blame him for all the attention that came on him. That's right. just the way things were. Like my dad had a tremendous amount of attention. Right. My dad didn't want it. Right. You know, my dad would drive a, a red Plymouth Valiant, you know, <laughs> not yeah. to drive around in a fancy car right. and all that. He didn't want the attention, but he became that guy because of the way he carried himself. Right, so right, right. you can't blame Gotti for that. I, right. I, I disagree with that. A lot of guys, you know, were responsible for the life going down. Yeah. But uh, how was he to deal with? He was very difficult business-wise mm -hmm. because he was kind of narcissistic. I mean, right, I think sure. I'm not speaking out of turn. Right. Um, socially, he was a lot of fun. Yeah, he seemed like... Yeah, you meet up with him, hey, you know, have a drink, and <laughs> he's cracking jokes, and we had a he lot of He seemed like a very lively person. He was, yeah. <laughs> and, and he was, in a way, bigger than life, the way he yes, carried yeah, himself. Yeah, right, right. You got to give that to him. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, he was a grace with that charisma. Yeah. He just had that. And he was Cosa Nostra till he dies. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah, it. yeah, yeah. So, he, he, Do you think he was like your dad in some ways? Like my dad? In the sense of he that... He had a lot of respect for my dad. Okay, that's what I'm yeah, asking. Yeah, I mean, uh, Ed McDonald, who was the former head of the strike force, my prosecutor, yes. uh, said publicly that he heard uh, Gotti say on tape, I got a, respect, a lot of respect for Sonny. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Gotti right. said it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's, that was old school. Yeah. Like yeah. old school stuff, yeah. Yeah. You know, um, Gotti was not only one of the uh, figures you were around, but you were around, uh, uh, I think he was a member of your family, a man by the name of Greg Scarpa. Yes. And the reason he's interesting, and I know some we have some people viewing that are interested in American Mafia, that he actually killed, I want to say, over 100? He's claimed to have killed over 100 people or something like that? Is that all inflated? The numbers are exaggerated. Okay, I mean, okay. I don't know where they get these numbers from, you know. I mean, they had my dad killing 30 to 40 people. and Right. They never named one of them. Right, right, but right. But they said he had 30 or 40. Right. Look, those numbers were always exaggerated, but look. Greg Scarpa was, uh, he wasn't a guy you wanted to be around. Mm -hmm. you know, he wasn't, in my view, you know, a very likable guy. Mm -hmm. And I was, I don't want to say close with him in that we didn't hang out together a lot, right. but I was in his company quite often. Because you were in the part same. part of our crew, right, yes, yeah, our family. Crew or family? Uh, no, our family. Oh, family. He wasn't my crew, but our family. And so I had occasion to be with him a lot. Mm -hmm. And he just, you know, he wasn't the type of guy that you want to hang with. That was my feeling. Yeah, that's what I was asking you. Like, when you get around guys like that, do you know, like, you feel something? Yeah, I mean, you you know there's something about him that, you know, <laughs> yeah. Maybe I should just steer clear. Yeah, he was, he was kind of a, how could I just, maybe eerie kind of guy. You okay, know? Yeah. That, like a vibe. Yeah, he had that vibe around him. Mm. So, you know, and look, when we found out that he was an informant for over 20 years, mm -hmm. A lot of guys got nervous, myself included, you right. know, because we, we were around each other quite a bit. But, you know, fortunately, it didn't affect me in any way. But, uh, look, he was, uh, he was a guy that uh, wasn't concerned about violent acts. If he had to do it, right. he'd do it. You know, there was some guys, Al, in that life that they enjoyed doing what they were doing. Mm. If it would, had to engage in violence, right. they enjoyed it. Yeah. And there was other guys that... If I have to do it, I'll do it. I kind of step out of myself and I'll do it. But this is not what I want to do. Right. And uh, you had those two types. Yes. And the guys that didn't want to do it were more prevalent than the guys that wanted to do it. Trust me on that. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. you had even mentioned, too, there were guys in the family that they were not like real serious earners. They were not really heavily involved in some of these activities, but they were still. Yeah. 
Well, I'll give you an example. We had 115 made guys in our life, guys that actually took the oath, right. about 115. Out of the 115, maybe 20 of us were earners. Right. That's it. Right. The other guys were, you know, street guys, thugs, and this right. and that. So, you know, when you had work that had to be done, mm -hmm. you want to protect the earners. Right. And you want to give it to the guys that are hanging out. Right. You know? Not that they wanted to do that, not that right. they enjoyed doing it, right. but hey, this is this is your job, go and do it. Right. You know? You know, and, and a lot of people get the impression that from, you know, there's a lot of stuff on social media that every day you were out there committing violent acts. That's right. Not, it's like not true. Right. Because that's what the news out. is portraying, yeah. No, it's not true. I heard it's a pretty boring life sometimes. Can be, yeah. <laughs> Guys a lot of times sitting around in a social club day in and day waiting for a score, <laughs> waiting for something to happen to make a few bucks. Right, yeah. right, yeah. A lot of guys lived, now I didn't live that way, but a lot of guys did. And, yeah. uh, you know, but they knew no other way. They were street guys. Right. And that's it. Do you feel that your success and your ambition in the family protected you to some degree? Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, you know, they saw me as an earner. I was bringing a good money into the family, mm -hmm. and they want to protect that. Al, any organization... Right. Without money right. doesn't last. Right. No matter right. what it is, right. whether it be le legitimate, illegitimate, money is what mm -hmm. makes it work. Right. And without that, you don't have anything. So the guys that were earning, they wanted to protect. Mm -hmm. Not to say that you weren't responsible for doing something when you were told to do it. Right. But they want you to bring the money in. Yes, yes. That's it. This is so interesting. And I think as people are tuning in, um, They've got they've got to tune into your podcast. I think they really got to tune in. They really got to get more uh, 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 brought up to speed on what the Lord rescued you out of. And uh, you know, it, it really is a miracle to see um, what you're doing today. I mean, you're, you're you're still preaching in churches. Yes. And you're still going out, and doors are open for you all over the world. I think you're going to be in in the UK soon. Yes. In uh, July and August, we, we I think we have a 25-city tour Wow! in the U.K., and it's mostly a ticketed venue event, but yeah. as you know, we did uh, yeah. we did about 15 churches last time I was there, and I'll tell you, it was, it was uh, so blessed that it was standing room only in yeah. every place we went. Yes. And I said, wow, even here in the U.K., people are so yeah. interested in the life, because I'm not a you know well-known figure there, but... Uh, Standing room only, and uh, you know now thankful, uh, I should say because of YouTube, right? Uh, it's all over the world. We have followers now. Yes. So I get you know I get contacted from everywhere. What I love about you is after these services, you know, you'll share, you'll give your testimony, and talk about how your your uh, mother-in-law prayed for you and how mm -hmm. you gave your life to the Lord and the time you spent in prison. But I love how you'll spend time with people, and they'll come up to you and you'll be there. I mean, I've seen you in our church. You've been there. Yeah. You'd be the last one to leave. I mean, me, mm -hmm. me and you'd be the last person to leave. Thousands of people here, and we'd be the last one to leave. Talking to people, taking pictures, you know, signing books, sharing with them, praying with them. Um, man, Michael, not everybody does that. What, where, where does that come from? You know what, Al? I've learned something. It, it's such a privilege to be able to give your testimony. And listen, I'm not a perfect guy in any way. I, sure. I struggle with, you know, look, we're all sinners. Right. I think I'm better today than I was 20 years sure. ago. But um, it's such a privilege and an honor to be able to um, bring people to Christ. And I've always said this, if you're not gracious with people, whatever you say on the stage doesn't mean a darn thing mm. afterwards if you're not gracious with people afterwards. Mm -hmm, they need right. to see your heart. Right. When you're off that stage also. Right. And, you know, I've, I've, I'm telling you now, and I've been consistent with this for the last 25 years. 
if there's 200 people online, I'm not leaving until every one of them. And I've seen it, and I've just watched you be there with people, and it just is amazing. You know, it's amazing. It's just amazing. Well, I take it very seriously. Ministry to me is, you know, listen, (laughs) I mean, if it wasn't for my wife and my mother-in-law praying for me and bringing me to the Lord, I mean, I was on a, I was on a beeline to hell. Right. I mean, I'm going to be honest, you know, and I know I would have either been in prison for the rest of my life. Right. Or I'd have been dead at an early age. We had a big war in our family. A lot of guys got killed. Right. You know, and that would have been my fate. Right. So I take ministry very important, very seriously when I'm active in it. Now, I'll be honest with you. I wish when I, uh, how could I say this without saying the wrong thing? You know, so I still have a temper sometimes and I still get, you get uh, tempted sometimes, <laughs> yeah. and I wish I was a better person all around. Right. Um, but when it comes to me in my ministry, I'm very serious. Yeah, and I have sense that about you. I think you know what I mean. Of course. That. Yeah, I think we're, we're all in that place. Yeah. Michael, you know, um, I don't know if people realize how unique your story is and also the unique platform that you have to share the gospel. I don't know of any other person that has this type of platform with your type of story to share the love of God. And during this pandemic, uh, you you just stepped out by faith, right? I don't think you really fully understood what you were doing with the podcast, right? I mean, it was just, you know, all the churches were closed. You were sharing your testimony, and then you started the podcast. And it's been a great success. I feel like there's been so many people that have just tuned in and, and, and been blessed by your podcast, haven't they? Well, you know, again, we, we kind of backed into the YouTube po- podcast because I had so many mm-hmm. uh, speaking dates that were postponed right. as a result. And really what we use it for, it's a platform. We entertain people with the mob stories because people want to hear it. Right. They hear it from somebody that lived a life. Right. You know, we give them information. But basically it's a platform that we use to draw people in, not only to Christ, Right. but to help them uh, developing their own lives, their own skills. Right. And out of that YouTube platform grew um, this crew that I have now. Right. That we have over 20,000 members. Mm. And then we have an inner circle right mm-hmm. now with over 1,000 members wow. that have come in. And what we do, we provide them with life skills, business skills, mm. workshops, workbooks, guides. They get uh, to interact with me personally, ask me questions about certain things because the skills that we're trying to give them uh, are something that they really need to navigate in this world today. And you know, the benefit of my experience is something that they're not gonna get in school. They're not gonna get in a boardroom. You know, they're gonna get some real life experience that Mm -hmm. I had that will help them. And the the other thing that we started, we now have a Bible study. Oh wow. So that, you know, that was always the goal, Mm -hmm. to start to bring people in, make them trust, understand you, mm-hmm. give them resources that they need, and then start to deliver Christ to them also. Yeah. And we're very, very excited, uh, very encouraged about the amount of people that have signed up for the Bible study. Wow. And I led the first one, and now we have other Christians within uh, our study that are, are going to be leading along with me. So uh, it's been a great opportunity to share the gospel. Mm-hmm. It's been a great opportunity to help people, give them the skills they need, like yes. I said, to navigate. Uh, in this world, right. and it's not only that, but now the community is—they're um, b- binding with one another. Right. And so many good things have come out of it. Right. You know, people are helping one another now, and you know we had one guy that was, uh, you know, suffering from narcotics and 
and alcohol, and he's been clean now, and people have been supporting him. He's been clean for a while. Wow. He's, you know, so we, we, we're hearing a lot of stories like this, right. aside from those that are benefiting from the other skills that we're giving them. So That's the amazing. YouTube platform has been a blessing in that regard. Yeah, and it, it just opens up so many opportunities to yeah. minister. That's so powerful. And I think, you know, Al, that's what we need to do. We right. need to use our skills to draw people in right. and then to give them the gospel whenever we can. Mm -hmm. And my whole team is, is in tune with that. Right. So. Uh, you know, God is, again, you know, whenever your door closes, another one opens up. When you're yeah, in ministry, right. when you, you know, you love the Lord, and He provides. Yeah, and the, and the heart behind it is it shines through. Yeah. You can really tell. Um, so people can get involved with you uh, through your podcast. What are some ways that they yeah. can get involved? Well, michaelfrancis.com is, uh, you know, the way you can get involved in our, our inner circle and our crew. Uh, I'm all over YouTube. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Twitter. You know, I, I'm on all the social media platforms, so yeah. I'm easy to find. Yeah, you Google me, I come up everywhere. So that's awesome. You know, I always say this: it's it's taken me 25 years to be an overnight success. <laughs> <laughs> you know, hard well, work. Well, you know, it's two worlds. You know, you went yeah. from, from darkness to light, and it's yeah. it's very interesting. But what I think is so interesting too is being in the light. You've also reached back into some of the uh, old life in the sense mm -hmm. of being able to connect with some pretty heavy people. And you recently did a major, uh, I would say it was a documentary or like it was like a movie. What, what, what? It was a sit down. A sit down yeah. with, uh, it was called Mafia States of America. Mm -hmm. I think it was produced by uh, Patrick Bet David. Mm -hmm. It was starring Rudy Giuliani, mm -hmm. uh, Chaz Palminteri, and none other than Sammy the Bull Gravano. Right. And people who are dialed in with uh, the American Mafia know these names and they're mm -hmm. very familiar with these people. Um, Sammy was the underboss of the Gambino crime family under John Gotti. Correct. Um, what was it like to uh, connect with Sammy over the old life? It was interesting, to say the least. Sammy is, uh, he's got a different mentality than I have at this point in time with respect to our former life. And, you know, he, uh, I think in many ways he still feels part of that life. Right. And I understand that. Right. Because when you're so indoctrinated into something mm -hmm. like I was, there's times right. when I still feel part of that. Life. Right, right, right. Some of my old self comes out. Sure. And it's it's those that thought process. Sure. It's still there. With Sammy, he takes that to the nth degree. You right, know, I, I, right. I think. You know, and he, look, he grew up a little differently than I did. He grew up on the street, and that was his life from an early age. Sure. With me, it started a little bit later. But uh, it was very interesting because we kind of, you know, at times we bucked heads. Yes. And there's times we agreed on certain things. We feel differently about the life um, now. Uh, although I think Sammy's maybe coming to a different uh, realization. Well, yeah. And, you know, uh, there was a, a disagreement you had it, mm -hmm. with Sammy. Um, and it was around a prayer. Yeah. Where I think you guys are in the middle of this production and you're kind of, you know, spend a lot of time together. And you were in church. And you sent him a prayer, and I think maybe Sammy didn't know how to receive it, or, or, or something happened. Yeah, what, what happened? We were Pastor Greg Laurie is, is our pastor, and we were in church, and and Greg said, "Think of anybody that really needs prayer to come to Christ right now, and pray for him." Right. So my wife and I thought of Sammy, right. and we prayed for him. Right. And I told him that later on, and he got insulted by it. He yeah. Said, what yeah. are you praying for me for? Blah blah blah. You know. <laughs> But typical Sammy, you know, sure, sure, sure. and uh, I tried to explain to him that was sincere. You know, right, yeah, this yeah. Is, we're praying for you. 
Yeah. And I think he, he kind of resented it for a minute. And, I, you know, I'm not in his head. I don't, I don't sure, know Sure, of course, right. But interestingly enough, uh, he recently did a podcast himself. He's got a successful one on his own. And he had COVID, mm-hmm. and it really got him. Right. And he became more spiritual, in his words, as a result, and started to see God differently. Interesting. Um, you know, maybe we planted the seed by telling him that. You know, and I got to tell you this, you know, I get a lot of guys on the street, you say, you know, I'm, I'm in Christianity to make money, and I go to, you hear all the, you know, Christians always get that now. Sure. You know, and well, I, think pa- they, I think pastors too. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we you all know, go through that. I, I think for the last 25 years, you know, you hear all that stuff, you know, and people got this crazy idea about what we do and how, how we're compensated for it. I don't know why, but yeah. at any rate, I think Sammy was one of those guys. He didn't mm-hmm. believe this was real. And you know you're not a, you're not there to convince people of your no. faith in Christ. You just act, and God does the rest. You live it out. Exactly. Yeah. You live it out, yeah. and God does the rest. So we're we're used to that. But um, I, I I pray to God. He's sincere. I think he is. People that have seen that podcast have said it was genuine. My wife said it. It was yeah. sincere. So listen. If that's, yeah, your wife was saying earlier. She's like she really felt that that was a, yeah, a sincere yeah. experience he had. Listen, if that's one more soul that came to the Lord, whatever way he got there, then uh, that's an accomplishment. That's what I want. You know, there's so many things going on in this world. Prayer is so important, Michael. I mean, um, prayer is a foundation for everything that we are and we do as believers. Um, How important is prayer right now? I mean, it seems like the world has gone mad. I mean, gas prices, everything, the war in Ukraine, there's so much going on. You know, um, this has been the most divisive, difficult time in my lifetime mm-hmm. on the world stage that I've seen. You know, prayer is so significant. One of my weaknesses as a Christian mm-hmm. is my prayer. Okay. In that I watched my mother-in-law, who was a fervent prayer warrior. My wife, you know, can get deeply into prayer. For some reason, my prayer is more dialogue with God mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. just getting into a, right. a fervent state of prayer. Sure. Um, and I, I think that's a little bit of a weakness because maybe I don't mm. pray strong enough. I don't know. Mm. You know, I'm, mm. I'm, I'm just throwing this out to sure, you. Sure, of course, right? Yeah. But uh, prayer. Um, look, Scripture tells us. The Bible tells us. You know, we pray often, and, and God taught us how to pray. Told right. us how to pray rather, and we should be doing that quite a bit. Well, and I think prayer needs prayer. Prayer is not just. It's a conversation, so it's not just talking. It's hearing. Mm-hmm. That's so right, it's not always exactly. verbal. Sometimes it's opening up ears and hearing what God has to say after you read His Word. And then he gives you the words to talk to him and the words to share with him, you know, what he's placed in your heart or the things that you're going through. So, you know, it's a communi- it's a two-way communication. Well, you know, I can tell you this. It's interesting that you said that, you know, um, my real attachment with the Holy Spirit is when I'm up on the stage. Mm. Because, Al, I know you've experienced this. Mm. There's times when, I mean, being out on the road, traveling like I do sometimes you get weary oh, and yeah. I, I have done you know back-to-back engagements where I was in one church in the morning another church at night yeah. we had to drive to get there and there was times when I told my brother-in-law Dean I don't know how I'm gonna do this tonight I'm just beat of course and I'll get up on there and the Holy Spirit will enlighten me and I'll say things that I didn't know I was going to say and people will come up to me Michael I needed to hear that yeah. and I know that that's my connection yes it just absolutely. comes into my right. head because the Lord's not gonna waste those opportunities no you're in front of a crowd and he's going to make sure the right things Absolutely. come out when, you're, when you have that relationship. Powerful. Right? When he knows you want it yes. to be that way. 
Yes. And uh, so that's how I know I'm listening. Yes. Yeah. Well, you're <laughs> that listening. vessel. You're, you're saying, Lord, I'm a vessel. Use me yes. any way you see fit. Very, very powerful. Um, you know, um, it seems like we're in like we're, we're dealing with last days types of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people right now are uh, concerned about gas prices. I mean, if anyone knows about gas, <laughs> it's you. What, what in the world is happening with these gas prices? Well, listen, uh, you know, I, I don't want to get too political, but we're just being honest here. Right, we're talking yeah. factually. Um, when this current administration came in and shut down, you know, fossil fuel exploration and development in this country, the prices rose. Right. Because now we're dependent upon outside people to bring oil into our co- country when we were energy independent before that. Right. And so that's why it rose. Now, what's so happening simple, with- simple as that. Simple, simple as that. There's no magic to it. Okay. You know, right. short supply, big demand, prices go up. Got it. That's it. And now we're exporting instead of, uh, now we're, we're importing instead of exporting okay, like great. we were right. during the, pres- the former administration. Um, and that's why prices went up, mm. and they'll continue to go up. Right, I, mean, right, I, I don't right. think we've seen the worst of it in California. It's going to continue to so go up. So it's basically simple math. Simple math. Simple math. Yeah, right. when you have a lot of product, you know, there's, right. the demand is less because the supply right. is there. Prices go so down. So there's no secret conspiracy. There's no. <laughs> you know, like everybody's into you know, conspiracies uh, these days. What I don't understand is how the Green New Deal, you know, going to a different type of energy uh, provision. You can't do it overnight. No. You don't make people suffer as a result of you right. wanting to make this change. Right. And people are really suffering because you can't just cut out fossil fuel just like that and not expect people to suffer. I mean, fossil fuel has supported us and given us energy since the beginning of time. Everything is made out of fuel. Even this microphone, everything's made out it's of oil. since now. the beginning of time. Right. You don't just cut it out and think there's going to be such an easy transition and nobody's going to suffer over right, it. Right, absolutely. You know, so um, that that's the problem. I, I tell you how they can alleviate it right away. Hmm. The federal tax on, on every gallon of gasoline right now is 18 cents. Okay. It was 9 cents during my time. Okay. I wish it was 18 cents back then, but it was not because <laughs> we were taking it. But, right. Uh, but it's 18 cents. Yeah. Eliminate the federal tax. Yeah. That's 18 cents a right. gallon. Right. In California, the state tax is 72 cents a gallon. Eliminate both of those taxes, okay, until prices... Uh, stabilize and you, you got almost a dollar a gallon that Michael, people could be saving. So if it were seventy-two cents a gallon in your day, oh, <laughs> back in my day, combined federal and state was about thirty cents a gallon. No, 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 I'm sorry, it was it was nine cents federal, twenty-five. Right. It was almost forty cents a gallon. And you were I'm taking sorry. that? Yes, we were taking that. Oh my goodness! And you were making a lot of money at that time. We were making it, yeah. We were, we were bringing in, you know, eight to ten million dollars a week at that Good point. Lord. That is amazing. based all on tax money. That that is heavy. But, uh, you know, that's the way, but look, I, I don't know if we have, we don't have people in office that want to right. alleviate the pressure at this point in time. Right. And, you know, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I follow the news a lot, what's mm-hmm. going on in Ukraine, because I'm very concerned. Right. I have children, I have grandchildren. I'm concerned about what this country is going to look like 10, 15 years from now, maybe less. Right. And this war in Ukraine is very serious. Yes. This could easily escalate into a nuclear war. Yes. People, uh, Michael, no, it can really happen. Right. And uh, I'm very concerned about it. Yes. And I don't know that the current administration is equipped to handle this in the right way because the moves they've made to this point are not encouraging. No. They're not making us feel comfortable. No. And don't get me wrong, whether I like the administration or not, I'm praying that they do the right thing. Right. 
doesn't matter if I like it. It just seems at this right point, it's just, it's, just, it's just black and white decision. Something, something has to be done about this. Exactly. Right? You don't have to like the people who are in office, but you right. pray that they do the right thing. Absolutely. Regardless. Right, absolutely. And so that's where our prayer as mm -hmm. a Christian nation should be right now, that it, this administration gets it together and does the right thing to prevent a catastrophe of, of nuclear proportions. Absolutely. We don't want that. I think that's where uh, the church really needs to activate prayer more than ever. Yes. Praying for our leaders, praying for our government, praying for our world, believing God for godly leaders to rise up. And we were talking a little bit about that, right? I mean, we have yes. all these leaders. It seems like there's a, a, a vacuum of leadership, a failure in leadership. Um, I mean, we really need godly leaders. We need strong leaders, uh, Pastor. We really do. And, and they're there. You know, just the system makes it hard for them to rise to the top because it takes so much money now to become mm -hmm. a, right. you know, a viable candidate. There's so many things that are, that are against, you know, the good people coming up. Mm -hmm. But we have to pray for that. Um, you know, I wrote a book that will be out in May called yeah. The Mafia Democracy. Right. I didn't write it to knock our government. Mm -hmm. I wrote it to enlighten people about what's really going on right. and how Machiavellian and mob-like our government is operating and how we need to pray and we need to push the right people to the front right. that are really concerned about our country and are going to do the right thing and we need to eliminate those that are not good you know and i say this all the time al you know you can't be dishonest in office when the lives of so many people are at stake right and people today you know our, our public officials I can't put it any other way. I have to be direct. They lie to us all the time. Right. They lie on tape. They lie on video. And we sit back and say, well, it's politics. Well, they change their mind, too. Yeah. I mean, not only do they lie, but they'll say one thing, and then, then you know, you know, a week later, they'll say something totally say different. Something That's totally opposite of what they just said. Exactly. It's, it's, it's incredible. To suit their, you know, what, whatever it is right. they had to and suit their party. And that's Machiavellian. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, it's Machiavellian to, to the T. Right, right. But... You know, at least in the mob, we used to hide that. Yeah. We weren't out. Right. Hey, we're respectful. We're honorable. Listen, we used to hide that. Right. Our government, they don't hide anything. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's right out in the open. They're telling us things in direct contradiction to what they said the day before. Right. They make promises on the campaign trail that they break as soon as they get into office. What's, in, what's amazing is there's video, too. So you can see them saying something. Saying something here. They change their mind, say something here, someone plays a video of what they said, and they, it doesn't mean anything to and them. And don't even bother them. No, it doesn't even bother them. And we, we look, oh, well, it's politics. No, it's not politics. No. It's lying. It's corruption. It's corruption. Right. And we need to, we, look, we still have power in the people as a nation. Right. And we have to vote those people out of office. Right. Get rid of them. Absolutely. You know, we don't wish them harm. We don't want them to go to hell. I always right. say this, but get out of office. Absolutely. Go find a job, and let's put good people in there. Powerful. Mike, we only have a few minutes left, and um, this has been amazing. Uh, uh, your new book is coming out when? Be out in May. In May. What's it called? A Mafia Democracy. Hmm. And what do you want people to walk away with when they read that? Again, I want them to understand what our system is kind of degenerating into. Right. I want to enlighten them about it. And this is not a partisan book. Mm -hmm. It's about the government system. Right and how we have to take charge as a nation of people. This is a, a, a government by the people and for the people. And when we recognize that people are not doing the right thing for our nation, we have to vote them out. Beautiful, beautiful. That's it. So they can pick that up real soon. Yes, we're, 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 we're excited about it because it's necessary. Yeah, necessary, absolutely. I, I, I'm, I can't wait to read it. Yeah. 
well, we put a lot of work into it. It's gonna be awesome. You know, the, the problem I have with my publisher is every day, because I'm so in tune with what's going on, I'm calling up, I had a writer that worked with me, and I said, hey, he said, my, I said, but every day they're writing another chapter for this book. Yeah. And he said, Michael, if you don't stop, this book is gonna go on forever. Yeah. <laughs> so, I know. so we had to put a stop to it. Okay. But I mean, so much has happened even since then. Well, maybe you can do a second version. We could do a volume. It could be like an encyclopedia <laughs> at this rate, but uh, no. But the book is the book is. Uh, it, it, there's a lot in there that people I think are going to pick up on, and you know, the the, the timing of this. People yeah. are disgusted. Yeah. I mean, look what we're living through here. Yeah. I mean, when I hear you know people now have to make a choice right. whether to put gas in their car and drive to work or go, jump on a bus. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, come on, right. who ever heard of that? You yeah, know, right. you know the, 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 the salary increases are eaten up by inflation. Right. You know, a carton of eggs now is seven, eight bucks. Oh yeah. And maybe it's, more. It's pretty Milk, heavy. the same thing. And everything's around fuel. You gotta yeah. transport the Absolutely. food, you gotta move stuff around. Absolutely. Yeah, so that's awesome. I mean, and people are suffering and struggling and mm -hmm. uh, we need to put an end to it. Well, we know that we have the answer. We do. And we know that the Bible promises that times are not going to get better. They are going to get worse. The good news is that we are in this world. We're not of this world. And yes. we have the hope that others need, and that's the love of Jesus Christ. And, you know, um, as we come to a close, Michael, you know, there's so many, um, I would say millennials and young adults are going to be tuning into this podcast that are formulating ideas and they're, they're crafting their life's plan and they're beginning to prepare themselves for the future and we're doing all we can to pave the way for them to be able to experience God the way we've had but you know there's a lot of forces working against them and uh, I, I had a, I had a few things I wanted to ask you as we close um, and 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 think about this next generation that we have coming up you know th those those ones under 30 that are coming up and, and I have a few words here that I'm gonna throw out you one at a time and sure. just give your opinion on these words, um, the first word I want to throw at you is love. What does love mean to you? Well, I think Jesus showed us the, the ultimate sacrifice and the ultimate uh, expression of love in dying on the cross for the Savior of all of us. Right. As the Savior of all of us and forgiveness of everyone's sins and giving us a pathway to heaven. I mean, look. There's no greater sacrifice that anyone can make than to right. give up their lives for the loves that they for the people that they love. Right. And you know that was, should we say, love to the extreme or love to the nth degree? Yeah. But look, you know, without love in this world, look. If there was love in this world, rather than what we have now, I think none of what we're going through would be here. It's more tolerable as well. I mean, we, we, we may not fully eradicate sin. Jesus eradicates sin through his blood, but we can at least deal with it if there was love, right? Absolutely. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's too much. Look, the enemy is alive and well in this world. He's constantly at work. And mm -hmm. what I try to tell people is every evil thought, every temptation, everything that you have in your head that is, that is not good is coming from the enemy. We're right. constantly on uh, targets. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And only God's not the author of fear. No, no, no. Only love eradicates that. You know, and mm -hmm. people, you know, the age-old question, why do bad things happen to good people? And I try to explain that. You know, the Bible is very clear. We live in a fallen world. This right. is not God's will for us. It's not what he wants. No. But we live in a fallen world. And, uh, you know, fortunately, as Christians, the, uh, I tell people all the time, 
God never promised us heaven on earth. Mm -hmm. He promised us heaven in heaven. Mm. But he promised us that he would always have our backs one yes, way or the other. Right. And to me, that's very consoling. Absolutely. To know that no matter what goes on in this life, we know where it's going to end. And yeah, and we don't just, and you haven't just been through uh, challenges before Christ, even in Christ, we face challenges. Absolutely. And his love has been. Absolutely. Sustaining. You know, there's times when I face more as a, Absolutely. Uh, as being in ministry right. and knowing that, and I don't say this with any amount of pride or anything, but I know a lot of people have come to the Lord through my testimony. Absolutely. God has allowed that. We planted the seeds and he's brought them to, you know, to fruition. So the enemy doesn't like that. And he's mm -hmm. constantly on attack and I'm human, mm -hmm. but I, I, I'll tell you the, the answer to that. Mm -hmm. Number one, we need constant, constant nourishment. Mm -hmm. Living in this world because we're surrounded by negativity, we're surrounded by distractions. I tell young people, you have more negative influences at your fingertips on your phone right. than I had as a kid growing up. Oh, yeah. Constantly surrounded by Absolutely. It. So we need to be nourished. Mm -hmm. We need to be in the church. We need to be accountable to the right people. So Obviously good. God first, but the people we surround ourselves with, we, that's who we have to be accountable to. And I always say this, you are who you hang with. That's right. You that's hang right. with the wrong crowd, you're going to be accountable to right. the wrong crowd. Absolutely. You're going to do the wrong thing. Yeah. But, you know, me now, I'm accountable to my God, to my wife, to my family, to mm -hmm. you. Yes, you know, absolutely. just for inviting me here. You got to do the right thing. Absolutely. So. Very good. I got, I got another word for you. Um, success. In, in, your, in your mind, you've experienced so many things. And there's this whole generation, they're seeking success. What is success to you? Well, let me, let me tell you what it isn't. Money is not success. Money is a byproduct of success in business. Mm -hmm. That's it. Good. Success to me is having people love me, mm. uh, having a, a wife for 38 years that yeah. uh, loves me throughout all the stuff that I put her through, uh, having children that you mm. know still want to come home and see dad, right. um, having a ministry, yeah. um, and just you know trying to do the right thing and seeing that people appreciate that. Mm -hmm. That's success in life, you know, mm -hmm. when uh, all the other stuff, the money, the power and all of that, it's, it's, it's fleeting. It comes and it in goes, anything. right, yeah. It, it really doesn't. Yeah. And yeah. I'm not saying that as a cliche, I'm saying it because I mean it, I experience it. Right. Um, it's almost like, a, I think a good way to think of success is significance. Living yeah. a life of significance, yeah. that's making a difference, right? Yeah, absolutely, you know, look, I have really, you know, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I've had this quality my whole life, but I am much more happy giving something to people than mm, receiving. Right. Maybe because I've had just about everything I could have. Sure. You know, it doesn't matter. I mean, if you, you like it, but it's not a big deal. But to give of yourself and to see people happy about it, mm -hmm. thankful about right. it, uh, is the greatest feeling you can have. Right. When I'm in ministry and I walk off that stage and people are coming up to me, brother, you don't know what you've done for me. Or I get an email, which I get all the time, or comments. There's no better feeling. Well, and you know as a pastor, absolutely. that's what keeps you going. Oh, yeah. It's working. That's right. It's, it's beautiful. Here's another one. Uh, loyalty. You know, does loyalty exist? It exists. Um, it's, it's, it's very difficult in today's world um, to deal with loyalty because mm -hmm. there's so many outside forces, I think, but it's very significant. Mm -hmm. It's significant in a relationship. Yeah. Uh, it's significant with your friends. Right. And again, not an exaggerated loyalty. On the street, we had an exaggerated loyalty. Okay, good. And it, it was the wrong kind of loyalty. Mm -hmm. You know, um, 
but a true, honest, sincere, loving loyalty is very important. Loyalty has to do with priorities, right? You know, God, yeah. family, purpose. Yeah. Is, is that, yes. Would you view it that way? Yeah. And you can make mistakes along right, the course. way. Right. You know, because there's imperfection in everything. Absolutely. But it doesn't mean that your loyalty is not there. You bounce right back to that, Exactly. Right. Exactly. Very good. Um, passion. What gets Michael Francis excited? <laughs> My wife. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, you know, um, I mean, I have a passion for ministry. Mm -hmm. I really do. You know, I, I don't see myself ever leaving ministry. Yeah. And again, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a formal minister. Right. Uh, we're all ministries. Absolutely. We're all in ministry Absolutely. as, as uh, Priesthood of, of the God. believer. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I, I just I just love the feeling. I love to be able to share and know that it's it's making a difference. Yeah. So I have a passion for that. If you want to be successful, you've got to be committed. Yes. What does commitment look like to you? Just, you know, sticking with the task and not letting distractions or failure, um, you know, take you off your path. Mm -hmm. I mean, every successful person in business that I know has the same quality. They were determined. They right. didn't let failure prevent them from moving forward. Mm -hmm. And so success in that way is, right. You have to have a commitment to, mm -hmm. to do the work. Right. That's it. Um, you know, and success in, in your family is being committed to them. Now, it's a good time and bad time. Absolutely. It's, it's being committed no matter what. Being consistent. Yeah, right. no matter what. Okay, last one. Um, you've been through a lot of stuff, Mike, you know, your whole life, um, from childhood to um, the, your time in the mafia. When have you been the most afraid? fear there were two instances in my life when I really really can say I, I had fear um, the first time was during that life when I was walked into a room that I didn't know if I was gonna walk out of and I was afraid there's mm -hmm. no doubt I mean I thought that that was it I was gonna meet my maker my Lord and I was afraid I, I went into the room you know, one of the horrors of that life is you make a mistake, your best friend walks you into a room, you don't walk out again. Right. So I knew that. And this was a bad situation. So I was afraid that night. The second time I was afraid, which was more significant, was when um, I had violated my parole. Um, they locked me up. They put me in a hole. I was in L.A. County. Uh, I'm sorry. I was in uh, Metropolitan Detention Center, which was the federal jail in L.A. Okay. They were going to transport me back to Brooklyn in the morning to, to get in front of the judge. And that night I had tremendous fear because, number one, they told me that I would never see the street again, mm -hmm. that they were locking me up on new charges. Mm -hmm. um, and I knew that they couldn't put me out on the yard because I had walked away from that life and people wanted to kill me. Right. They wanted to hurt me. And I said, I'm going to spend the rest of my life in a six by eight cell. Wow. And I was 39, 40 years old. Wow. I said, I'm going to lose my wife. She waited for me for uh, five years. I had 13 months on parole. She stuck with me. I said, she was 27 years old. I'm going to lose the girl I did all of this for. Right. Um, I'm, I'm stuck. And I had no answers. Right. A guy that was always in control of his life, always had the answer, always figured I can deal with anything. I'll work it out. That was my, don't worry about it. I'll work it out. My wife has said, Mike, don't say don't worry about it. Because that was it. Don't worry about it. I got it handled. Yeah, right, right. 
I had no answers that night. Mm. And I said, this is it. I'm done. Mm. I'm finished. You know, and I say this, I used to um, not make fun of, what was the word? People that were suicidal. Kind of looked down on them. Yeah, I looked down on them. I said, how could you not face up to your troubles? Right. I would demean them. Sure. I don't do that anymore. Mm. After that night out, I wasn't suicidal. I wasn't that brave, but I wanted to lay my head on the pillow in that cot and not wake up again because it was too painful to think of my future. Absolutely. I said, this is it. Wow. Six by eight cell. Remember, I had visited my dad for 20 some odd years. I spent five years in prison. I said, if this is it, and I'm a young guy, I'm 40, I'm going to spend the rest of my life here, God take me. Right, right. And I'm laying there, and I was scared. A prison guard had walked by my cell. He looked in on me, and he said, you know, you don't look good. Are you okay? I said, get away from me, man. I chased him. I said, I don't want to speak to you guys. And he came back a minute later. He pushes something through the slot on the door. It falls on the floor. I heard the thump. I was kind of groggy. I looked down, and it was a Bible. Mm. And my immediate reaction is I got mad. I didn't want to hear about God. I didn't, I didn't want to know from nothing. I just got mad. And I, I jumped off the cot, and I picked up the Bible in anger, and I slammed it against the cinder block wall. Just slammed it. I said, I'm done. And it took me about a minute, you know, I'll never forget it. I said, you know what, what are you doing? I said, you got nothing but enemies. Both sides of the law, everybody's your enemy now. Right. And there's only you and God in the cell. I believed in God. Right. I didn't have a relationship with him, For but sure. I believed in him. And I picked up the book, and out of fear, mm. I looked up at that cement ceiling, and I said, God, if you're up there, you need to help me. Give me wow. something to make me feel better. Wow. And I'm holding that book. I had never really read the Bible. Amazing. I grew up as a Catholic. I read right. the catechism. Didn't mean anything to me. And I'm holding it, and it falls open to the book of Proverbs. Oh. Now, was that a coincidence? I don't think so. Mm. I'll tell you why, Al. I'm a very analytical guy. Yes. I, you need to show me facts before I really buy into something. Right. I'm very analytical, right? You're not selling me to Brooklyn Bridge and, mm -hmm. and, you know, if right. I'm paying attention. And I'm opening up the book of Proverbs. I start reading it. And I'm saying, wow, this, is a, this guy was brilliant, Solomon. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it yeah. just really turned me on, the brilliance of wow. the book, the wisdom in the book. Mm. And then I came to a verse that honestly just stopped me cold. I, I, when I say this, I remember it like it was yesterday. Stop me cold. It was Proverbs 16, 7. And it says, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, oh, Lord. even his enemies are at peace with him. Now, I had read a couple of chapters already, but that verse got me. Very powerful. Because, yeah, I said, enemies, that's all I got is enemies. So it caught me with the enemy wow. part. And then it was kind of like I just drifted back, and it was almost as if the Holy Spirit was looking at me and said, have you always been pleasing to God? Oh, wow. And I got convicted. First time, it was almost wow. as if I was looking in a mirror, and I said, who are you kidding? You're a bad guy. Even, you know, your wife and your mother-in-law are praying for you, but you're not buying into this. You're not doing anything. Wow. And it just really convicted me. That's how I interpreted that verse. And it really caused me to read on more. Wow. But I read it with a different mindset at that point. Right. It was a little bit of hope started to come Faith into my life. Faith was coming yeah, alive. starting to come right. into my The Word of God's powerful. Yeah. Very powerful. And then I came to the verse that just did it for me that night. And it was Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Proverbs yes. had a tremendous impact <laughs> on me. Yeah. And it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge, acknowledge him, him, 
and he will make your path straight. Yes. Now, what did that verse do for me? It stopped me and it said, you know what, God, I'm not buying this too easily. Just like that. Right. I said, I trusted my father more than anything. I followed him into this life and look where it got me. Take it a step further. I took a blood oath. Mm-hmm. I surrendered my life to Cosa Nostra. I right. gave it all. And look where I am. I said, I can't do this again. The mm. third time. My wife is telling me this. My mother-in-law is telling me this. But I can't buy it. Right. Prove it to me. I said those words. Wow. Prove it to me. And that's when I think God said, okay, finally. I got your attention. You're mm. in this hole. You can't go anywhere yeah. else. Right. You're ready to open up your mind and your heart. I'm ready to show you because I'm God and I got the truth. Right. For the next, I'll tell you what happens. They were going to pin a murder on me. They were going to try to. Right. And they said, you're going away forever. That fell apart. They never indicted me. Right. They gave me four years on the parole violation, which was the maximum. So I spent 35 months and 13 days more in prison, 29 months and seven days in the hole. Wow. Six by eight, me Jeez. and God. Yeah. And I studied my Bible like there was no tomorrow. Wow. I just read and read, and I just kept me enlightened by the Holy Spirit. I said, what a brilliant book. This is just amazing. Everything that I read, I became a New Testament guy because I just loved reading about Jesus. Absolutely. I loved reading his wisdom. I loved reading what the apostles had to say about him. I just loved it. I had soaked it up, and it started to become real to me. Right. And then I had my wife send me in books, and I had a prison library there that had books on, on uh, uh, Islam, Mm-hmm. Uh, books on Judaism, right. books on Hinduism. I started reading everything. Right. Christianity was the only thing that worked for me. Wow, amazing. And my commitment came during that time. And wow. I came out of there believing with all my heart that the Bible was God's word and that Jesus wow. was my risen Savior. And I do have to say this, because I always have to get this out. I think it's important. And the Spirit put this in me. When I came to Christ during that time in that hole, mm-hmm. it was a little bit different because my entire life, all I ever heard, Michael, you got to be a man's man. Man's man, right. That's it. When you walk down the street, you got to hold your head up high. You got to have integrity. People got to respect you. You got to honor women and children. You got to be a man's man. I heard it my whole life. My father drummed it into me from right, the time right, I was right. a kid. Get into the life, same thing. We're men of honor, we're men's men. So when I came to Jesus, realizing that he was a man, I separated his manhood from his deity, and I just wanted to study Jesus of Nazareth. What kind of guy was he? And if you do that, you come away knowing that there was no true man's man that ever walked the face of the earth other than Jesus right. of Nazareth. Right. He was perfect in every way. Right. So here's my mind the way it works. Okay, if I try to emulate Jesus, I'm going to be a better husband. I can't right. help it. I'm going to be a better father to my kids. If I'm a boss, I'm going to treat my employees better. Right. If I'm an employee, I'm going to give my boss an honest day's work. Wow. Everybody in the community is going to benefit me from me emulating the greatest man that ever walked the face of the oh, earth. Lord. And I'm going to benefit throughout my life. Right. And then I said, well, and if he's not the savior of the world, well, I'm dead anyway when I die. So what did I have to lose? Yeah. But my entire life, I benefit from emulating him. And then, of course, I realize he is the savior of the world. So now I got all of heaven to gain. Oh, Lord. So I tell people... Emulating Jesus is a win-win situation. You cannot lose. It makes no sense to go any other way. Absolutely. And that was it. And that's what the Lord did for me during my time in the hole. Now, I want to tell you another thing. This is important for people to understand. Sometimes we're put through things that are agonizing to us. Right. We just add, why are we going through this, Lord? 
Why are you allowing me to go through this struggle? At the same time I'm going through this struggle, my wife doesn't even know this. Our family was going to war when I was out on parole. Right. My father was happened to be out on parole. He called me up. He said, stop your nonsense. We need you back here in New York. Mm. The family's going to war. Right. I was so torn. Mm -hmm. How could I leave these guys? My, right. you know, we're going to war, and how could I do it? In my crazy mind, I was actually thinking of violating my parole and going back to New York. Wow. What happens? I get violated. I get violated in 1991. In 1991, the family goes to war. It lasts for three years. The entire time I was in the hole. Right. During those three years, 13 guys get killed, 63 guys go to jail, and another, I think 18 and 19 became informants. Wow. So poor Michael is sitting in the hole, <laughs> God is filling him with the spirit, yeah. and my former associates are out there struggling Jeez, to a war. Wow, that's so funny. when you think you're sometimes at the worst, God is at oh, his that's best. That's amazing, wow, that's the hand of God. That is the hand of God, and so, Michael, I want to thank you today. I mean, uh, what a time to be able to hear your story and dive a little bit into the history of the mafia, but to really hear of God's miracle working power in your life. And his hand is upon you, and it's so amazing. And I can't wait to see what God does through you in the days to come. And I want to thank you for being on today. Well, thank you, Pastor. And, and listen, I am a tremendous supporter of Victory Outreach and all that you do. And, and people know your history and the story. Yeah. And, and any time that I can join you in ministry, uh, you got my number, you Come got on. my email, my text, everything. Yeah. You know, yeah. Please just call and I'll be here. Will. Well, you're a friend of mine. Yes. I'm a friend of yours. <laughs> you want to be a friend of ours? I can, I can still give you the old. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I'm good, man. No, no, I'm covered, no, but thank that. you so much, man. But that thank you guys good. for tuning in to Catch yes. Fire Podcast. Be sure to subscribe. Also, make sure you visit Mike's podcast as well. It's also on YouTube, and uh, make sure you subscribe there. Thanks, Mike, for everything. And uh, thank you guys for tuning in today. God bless. Thanks.